0: Day on Ag News Daily. And basically what that does is allow state inspected plants to
1: operate as federally inspected facilities under specific conditions and ship their products and commerce. Listeners, 30th day of March 2023, Thursday. Ready to bring you some headlines today, and there's quite a few. Delaney, what do you see it?
2: Yeah, there is. After the low, we've had in news earlier this week. It seems things have picked up. The biggest thing that caught my attention this morning in the headlines has been the Senate has succeeded in passing a bill on a 53 to 43 vote on Wednesday to overturn the waters of the U.S. rule, which is a little bit surprising, seeing as the Senate is Democratic led. However, we saw folks vote across party lines with that 53 to 43 vote, making them also voting in favor of sending the bill to President Biden's desk. The resolution of disapproval on Wotus was already passed by the House earlier this month, and now it heads to the president's desk who is expected to veto the measure tanner. However, it doesn't end there. As we know, the US Supreme Court is hopefully going to send their rule out on the Sackett, v EPA case here anytime now. And so this veto, well, of course, the president does have the power to veto the measure. If the U.S. Supreme Court issues something in the pending case, that could rewrite the way that WOTUS is currently written. And EPA Administrator Michael Reagan also echoed that comment saying that Based on the Supreme Court decision, he thinks they're going to potentially have to rework the framework for WOTUS moving forward and that it could change the way that that bill is written. So he is expected to appear before the House Ag Committee. We don't have a set date yet, but it's expected that WOTUS is going to be one of the top issues that the House Ag Committee presses Administrator Reagan on when he does appear in Alice Ag Committee anytime now. So lots of question marks, not a lot of dates and concrete answers, but we're expecting to see the president veto that probably by the end of this week, Tanner.
1: Yeah, I had also seen that, it was like you said, a little bit of a surprise in the beginning, but also a little bit of a surprise as we got the official GDP numbers for the fourth quarter the economists originally had estimated to growth at 2.9 percent and then last month it was revised down to 2.7 but the official number has come in at 2.6 percent growth for the broad measure of economic activity for the final three months of 2022. of course this is the official report coming out of the commerce department's third and final reading for the fourth quarter so that was one of the headlines i had caught attention to the other one is a train derailment this morning in raymond minnesota the train was hauling ethanol and derailed around 1 a.m this morning ignited several rail cars and forced nearby residents to evacuate preliminary information is stating that 14 of the train's 40 cars were carrying hazardous material including ethanol and that's what led to the fire the u.s transportation secretary pete Uh, Buttigieg told CNN this morning, the train was carrying mixed freight of ethanol, corn syrup, and other corn byproducts, according to the Director of Public Affairs for BNSF Railway. Of course, we all know that ethanol is highly flammable, and that's what led to the fire itself. Exposure to those fumes can lead to coughing, dizziness, and feeling of blurry eyes, drowsiness, and unconsciousness. So, Of course, they're being extra safe around that area. But the good news is, Delaney, there's not super amounts of concern for the cleanup as the product. There is corn-based. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that to see if there's further restrictions on that front.
2: Well, Tanner, an avian influenza bird flu case has been reported in a human. Chile detected their first case of bird flu on Wednesday, according to the country's health ministry, the case was detected in a 53-year-old man who presented severe influenza symptoms, according to a statement issued by the ministry. They said the patient is in stable condition, but Chile has reported cases of H5N1 bird flu since late last year. However, this is the first time it is now transferred to a human case. And I don't believe that we've reported really on too many other human cases around the world. So this might be one of the first global cases as well.
1: Yeah, that's uh, I don't think I've heard a headline like that for quite some time. Got one more quick hit here on ethanol. Our production last week got back above a million barrels per day. The biofuel increased to an average of 1.003 million barrels. That's up from 997 the week before. Ethanol stockpiles are, in the seven days, ended March 24th, dropped to 25.527, down from 26.18. So you're seeing demand pick back up for ethanol. But then we look at the profit tracker for livestock. Slaughter numbers are down across the board, both for beef and for pork. Cash cattle prices moved just 50 cents higher, and feed yard margins were estimated at $195 per head. However, packer margins declined 23 bucks to an average of $34 a head, and wholesale, price be- wholesale beef prices, tongue twister there, Delaney, dropped $3 per hundred weight. So uh, cattle side of things saw pretty much neutral across the board with a little bit of gain. Uh, For the producer there, but what we're seeing go up significantly is the projected break even for cattle placed on feed during last week, and that rose $5 per hundred weight. So the cost of feeding an animal is nearly 18% higher than previously reported feral to finish hog producers saw losses of $11 per head last week about $3 more in the previous week, pork producers also saw profits of $80 a head this time last year. So not good news there on the pork front. Pork packers also found losses last week, $5 a head, about $7 lower than the previous week, which is not great news there. However, better than their time this time last year of a $20 per head loss. So we'll keep an eye on those numbers to keep our listeners updated.
2: Well, an update to the story here on Cargill pulling out of Russian grain exports or wheat exports, I should say, specifically was issued, of course, on Wednesday. And following that move, we will see Cargill officially step out of the Russian market starting in July. However, one question mark remains, Tanner, which is that Cargill owns a stake in the grain terminal in the Black Sea port of Novorossik and it didn't specify if it was going to be selling that stake, But now we've seen an additional company follow suit. Vitira, which is a global grain trader located in Europe, also shared that they would be exiting grain trade for Russia. This company, Vitira, is planning to stop. We don't have a specific date yet. It sounds like they're also maybe anticipating a July 1 date around the same time as Cargill. Avatera has chosen not to comment on this, but they are also a very large grain exporter for Russia. They are part owned by a Swiss-based mining company called Glencore, who I'm sure was a household name for many of us. But it sounds like a lot of other companies might be following suit here, Tanner, as far as stepping out of the Russian market, which for Russian grain exporters or local domestic companies is helpful for them. But I imagine in the long run, it's not going to be very helpful for Russia to get grain out of the country if we start to see other large players following suit.
1: No, that's uh, certainly going to put a lot of restrictions on their overall economic status, especially on the agriculture side. There are, however, six farmers in southeastern Missouri that are going to be in potentially hot water with bigger crop science. They have now been alleged of subsequently planting soybean seed that contained the company's Roundup Ready to Extend technology without purchasing it. So This would be seed that was harvested and cleaned without the uh, observation of the patent in place. Bayer also alleges that four of those six growers also illegally applied dicamba formulations not approved for over-the-top use on Extend Soybeans and did so after the June 30th cutoff date. So we will continue to watch this. These complaints were filed last January with the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Missouri in St. Louis. Bayer claimed that these farmers' actions infringed upon their patents and breached the terms of contracts and technology stewardship that the farmers had all signed. The company seeks damages and a permanent injunction against the farmers to prevent future infringements against their patent. In response to DTN, who put this article together for us, said that uh, they exist to support the growers and a vast majority of growers abide by the law. So these farmers may be made as an example. The farmers named in the lawsuit were Caleb Duffy, Greg Duffy, Michael J. Hodel. Brian Irons and Robert Pierce. All of them grew soybeans in Pemiscot County. And all of this started Delaney with complaints from neighbors about the unapproved use of dicamba. So obviously we will continue to keep an eye on this to find out what type of repercussions or just purely the result of the case may bring. But this is all tied back to EPA restrictions that were started in 2020 based for when and how dicamba products can be used. So we'll keep an eye on that one.
2: Yeah, I was wondering how they found out that they were still using dicamba products, but it sounds like the neighbors tattled on them to some extent.
1: That's correct. And then there was more in the article that after the initial investigation began, each farmer had an opportunity to respond to the allegations of not using dicamba properly. And during that period is when it was revealed that they were uh, spraying it on those genetic type soybeans, in which Bayer had no record of them purchasing those. So, if you didn't buy them within the system, how did you get a hold of them? So, that's uh, mm-hmm. the basis of where that all came from.
2: Well, I think I have just one final quick headline here to report on, and that is continued relations between the Chinese government and the Brazilian government. As uh, we know, Brazilian beef exports are allowed back into Brazil after a case of mad cow disease was reported. And Brazil and China have continued to try to rebuild relationships as President Lula stepped into office. However, uh, the Chinese government and the Brazilian government are very disappointed because President Lula was supposed to be heading to China but was recently diagnosed with a case of pneumonia and had to cancel his trip, which left a lot of folks frustrated. A lot of lobbyists were hoping that his presence in Beijing this week would help to persuade Beijing to issue more export licenses for Brazilian companies, according to two sources who spoke on this issue. He does have plans to potentially try and reschedule his trip to april 11th but tanner does seem like we're seeing a lot of allies and uh, partnerships come together here and the us is not obviously a part of this one but an interesting dynamic that this creates nonetheless
1: yeah no kidding we've got texas farmers looking for allies as they look to stop efforts from bullying by cities in their area State lawmakers in Texas are now paying close attention to the right to farm laws following a couple of battles for a local farmer, James Lockridge, against some city nuisance allegations. He farms just outside of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex and has stated that there is uh, $250 for each of his 436 hay bales that are stacked on ground has received a fine he also has seen fines for metal posts that are not painted to the color of city code. And the city has threatened to find him every day until those posts are painted. So he continues to talk with legislatures, explaining that more than 640 acres of ag ground is lost every day to development in the state of Texas. Other Texas institutions are stating that could be upwards of a thousand acres per day. Lockridge testified on Monday that he's lost more than five hundred thousand dollars in revenue over the past three years, faced tens of thousands of dollars in nuisance fines from the communities he farms around and is looking for the state to step in and provide them with support to avoid cities from continued annexation and, and inflicting upon his rights to farm. So we'll continue to keep an eye on that, but it has certainly gone viral on social media. And of course, now DTN is reporting on this. So we'll see if they get any new results out of that. But that's my last headline for today.
2: All right. Well, let's hop into the commodity markets then, Tanner, as we head into the opening session here on this Thursday morning. Quick reminder, folks, tomorrow is the big report day, prospective plantings and quarterly grain stocks. So we'll see that come out at 11 a.m. Central Time. And we will be releasing the podcast just after that time to bring the quick headlines on how that report trades. But ahead of that report, a lot of traders are getting their last minute numbers crunched, putting on hedges on the board or protecting themselves from any potential surprise we have in tomorrow's report. And we're also still seeing the wheat market in particular trade really heavily on the news that multiple companies are now pulling out of the export market in Russia. This is forcing buyers to step out of the marketplace and follow suit of others. And so that certainly is adding some positivity here to the wheat markets. But as we head into the opening session here, May corn is up two and three quarters cents at 653. New crop corn opens a quarter of a cent higher at 570 and three quarters. In the soybean pits here at the opening, the May contract is up four cents at fourteen eighty-one. New crop soybeans trading a penny and three quarters cents higher to open at thirteen oh four and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the hard red May winter wheat contract will open seven and a half cents higher at eight seventy-eight. And livestock here on this Thursday morning will open at a dollar sixty-five eighty-two in the April live cattle contract. A buck ninety-eight twenty in the April feeder cattle contract and opening at 76.77 in April Lean Hogs. Tanner, without further ado, uh, who are we talking to for today's interview?
1: Well, today Delaney Jennifer had a conversation with the South Dakota Farm Bureau. So let's listen into how that went what do you search when you're in the market to buy farm equipment for 45 years Fastline marketing group has served the farming community with quality farm equipment listings for tractors combines hay and forage equipment lawn and garden equipment and more Check out FastLine.com for availability on all your favorite makes and models of equipment. And if you're an equipment dealer, put FastLine's industry-leading social media following and marketing expertise to work for you. FastLine Marketing Group is the farmer resource and marketing partner of choice in the agriculture industry.
3: As we know, our Congress has been very busy in the current session, and currently I have with me the South Dakota Farm Bureau President, Scott Vanderwall. Scott, how are you doing this morning?
0: Well, very well. Even though we're getting ready for another snowstorm, spring looks like it's coming very, very slowly in this part of the country, but it's never failed so far.
3: (laughs) I can agree with that. Definitely ready for the spring weather to hit. As I mentioned, the Congress has been extremely busy, and so has your Senator representing South Dakota, uh, Mr. Mike Rounds. He recently became a sponsor of new legislation being reintroduced to increase access to meat and poultry products. Could you explain a little bit more about this proposed legislation?
0: Certainly, uh, Senator Rounds has been a a very good supporter of the beef industry. We're back to when he was governor of South Dakota, and he's been working on finding new markets and ways to increase uh, uh, small packing facilities and those kinds of things in, not only in South Dakota, but in the United States. And this uh, legislation that he's proposed, it uh, kind of broadly approaches the issue of uh, uh, meat packing by allowing state inspected meat and poultry to be sold across state lines if it comes from a state-inspected facility that has equivalency, as far as their their health standards, with uh, FSIS.
3: This legislation sounds absolutely amazing to me and extremely beneficial for many producers all around the country. In this article that I am reading about it, like I mentioned, Senator Mike Rounds is a sponsor. There are also many endorsers coming from South Dakota, including the South Dakota Farmers Union, South Dakota Stock Growers, and the South Dakota Farm Bureau, which you are representing. Could you tell me a little bit about how South Dakota Farm Bureau came to the decision to endorse this legislation? What all did you have to consider and think about before making the decision?
0: Well, for us in in Farm Bureau, it's all about policy. It goes back to our process where our members put our policy in place. And so anytime a a proposal like this comes up, uh, we compare it to our policy. And um, that's a a thing where if it's very clear, we, we just support it right away. If it's not real clear, then our board of directors will take a look at it. But basically, um, we have policy that already says that we favor allowing state inspected meat to be sold across state lines. It doesn't say really how you get there. And so that allows us some flexibility. Um, it, we also have policy that says legislation that would encourage the development operation and sustainability of new and existing meat processing plants is in there. So this uh, Senator Rounds bill fits that. And it also fits our uh, American Farm Bureau policy, which is the national level, of course, and so the American Farm Bureau can support that as well. Um, There are some different proposals out there, uh, but we keep the end uh, goal in mind, which is to be able to to make meat that's uh, fluttered and processed at a state-inspected plant available for sale across interstate lines.
3: Absolutely. That all sounds like it relates back to the things that South Dakota Farm Bureau and the AFBF represent very well. And as we were talking a little bit before this interview, um, this is reintroduced legislation with a little bit of changes added to it. Could you explain what those changes are compared to prior terms when it was introduced then?
0: Yeah, there was a bill in the In 2020, that uh, Representative Johnson proposed, called the Direct Act, that would allow for state inspected meat to be sold across state lines through e-commerce. And that's a little bit of a difference as far as how you get there, but uh, basically uh, meets the same goal. Uh, it, It would give producers and processors more options to market directly to consumers. And so those are the differences there.
3: It definitely seems like legislation that has evolved over the past few years to be able to get to where it is now. So hopefully those that are sponsoring it and endorsing it can help make that impact within Congress right now to get it pushed through. And also, you had mentioned a state program that is a little similar to what this legislation may be a part of. Could you explain what that is as well?
0: Sure. Uh, There's a program uh, that we joined, South Dakota joined in June of 2021 called the Cooperative Interstate Shipment Program, CIS. And basically what that does, it allows state inspected plants to operate as federally inspected facilities under specific conditions and ship their product in interstate commerce. Uh, Right now, there are... Uh, 34 South Dakota facilities that participate in state meat inspection and we have uh, one facility which is very progressive that uh, has joined the CIS, uh, gotten to where they're approved to do that. There are 10 states in the United States that participate in this program right now and there's a few things that you have to do. So to be considered for CIS by your state, you have to have a maximum of 25 employees. You have to have an adequate food safety system and meet all the appropriate facility standards. So that's a that's an opportunity that some states got together and took uh, because at that time, at least we did not have uh, ways federally to ship meat across state lines uh, legally for sale.
3: That sounds like a great program for many states to get together and take that opportunity into their own hands to be able to offer more for residents of their own states. And looking towards the future, I'm sure that parts of this bill could be considered within the upcoming farm bill and many other things that South Dakota Farm Bureau is pushing for right now as well, in coordination with AFBF or other state farm bureaus. Is there anything there that you think could really help with this or just help with producers in the meat industry looking forward?
0: Yeah, this kind of joins a nationwide effort. It kind of started back during the pandemic when uh, we had processing issues, we had supply and and transportation issues. Uh, We tried to help consumers understand that we were still out here farming and raising cattle and hogs and and dairy animals and producing milk. Uh, But the holdup was that uh, a lot of plants had shut down and the processing capability wasn't there and the transportation capability wasn't there. And so there started to be more of a focus on local processing plants. And we've had uh, lots of local uh, locker plants over the years, and, and a lot of them have uh, gone out of business because it's, it's, a, it's a tough business and it's a lot of work. And people don't generally uh, aspire to make that their, their career goal. So we've tried to make uh, more opportunities and, and give financial help for people wanting to start up those facilities. And that's kind of where this has come from. And in South Dakota, for instance, uh, we've got some of the best feeder cattle in the country in the upper Midwest area and the surrounding states, and uh, we've got some of the least expensive feed in the country. And typically, a lot of those feeder cattle have gone out of state for both the feeding and processing. And we started talking a few years ago that, you know, we should be adding value to these cattle here, not only feeding them, but processing them. And we do have uh, at least one a fairly large processing plant now and we're putting more focus on these local plants and, and plants that are processing just a handful of cattle less than a less than a trailer load or a pot load a day and it's a good thing it, it doesn't it doesn't really affect the overall supply of cattle or the nationwide market but it helps those people that it's serving in a local area and it also gives consumers an opportunity to buy direct from these plants rather than Uh, going through the big packers, which we still need. We we obviously need the big packers as well, uh, but but it helps to have uh, lots of different choices.
3: Amazing, yes. Like you mentioned, this is all great things. Everything you mentioned is beneficial in one way or another for everybody within the meat and agriculture industry. And aside from focusing just on the meat and poultry products and processors, What else has South Dakota Farm Bureau been up to, Scott?
0: Well, we've uh, been very instrumental and and involved in things that are going on in the state legislature. We had a bill that we supported and the governor signed just recently to protect ag operations from nuisance lawsuits. And what that is, is is, uh, if there's a livestock operation and somebody 20 or 30 miles away decides just to try to cause some trouble or cause some holdups or financial problems for an operation. Uh, We've had people sue farmers um, over uh, smells or dust or odor or whatever it is. And the governor's bill in this case uh, made it mandatory that a potential plaintiff in a situation had to live within one mile, uh, actually own the land or lease the land within one mile of the operation in question. And they also had to uh, provide clear and convincing evidence that. The operation was not following local, state or federal guidelines, whether it's regulations or, or laws. And so that's a good thing for us. A lot of these suits that were filed in the past that ended up not going anywhere because they were non-consequential, but it cost the operation a lot of uh, time and, ex- and expense in, in defending themselves. And so we have actually had the opportunity to speak at a press conference when the governor signed that bill. And that was a great honor to be able to do that.
3: Absolutely. It sounds like South Dakota has been extremely busy within their state legislature, with their governor, and all across the nation as well. Just one final question. If listeners would like to learn a little bit more about things that South Dakota Farm Bureau has been up to, where can they go to learn about that?
0: Well, the easiest way is to go to sdfarms.info. And that'll take you to our website, and there's lots of information on there and what's going on. Uh, folks can also get to our policy book and find out uh, what Farm Bureau policy is. And we're yes, certainly uh, glad to talk to people if they want to call the state office and talk about policy. Our uh, our folks in the office would probably give give them my phone number. And uh, any anybody that's interested in agriculture and keeping our our agriculture industry. Uh, very viable and vibrant so we make sure that we continue to to retain the ability to feed ourselves in this country. Uh, That's very important.
3: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Scott.
0: You're very welcome and thank you.
1: So Delaney, it's great to continue to get updates from our listeners' areas in which they all come from. Again, if you listeners have people we should talk to, make sure you reach out on social media and let Agnews Daily know who you want us to talk to.
2: Absolutely, Tanner. But with that, should we let the people go?
1: Let's let them go.